six years before we got introduced to the concept of superheroes. Then we traveled to space where everyone speaks like they're auditioning for Hamlet, but still the universe feels pretty small. Enter the Guardians of the Galaxy. The cosmic approach to Marvel Comics hadn't really been touched by Marvel films, and definitely not in a quality movie. This movie introduced us to Thanos as more than that guy from the post credit scene. It showed us Peter Quill and Groot and other low-level comic heroes who are now some of the most popular characters in film history. Most importantly, it gave us a background on the Infinity Stones. For a movie that a lot of people weren't all that hyped to see, it really was the bridge into the modern MCU. Thanks for coming back to the Wrong Opinion MCU Rewatch. Uh, this is Jake Clark here with Ricky Z once more. Uh, Ricky, what do you think of Guardians of the Galaxy 2014? It's good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the whole, my whole opinion. No, it was, I thought it was really good. Um, do you like my opinion now or like when I saw it? I, I think when you saw it and when you're okay, when you're going to see it, when you saw it and then your opinion now, all three of those, because this is a really it, it's a good movie for that kind of conversation. So I was let's see, I watched the trailer for it on my phone during my lunch break when I worked at Big C Lumber. Um, and I was like, that's weird because I'd read some Guardians of the Galaxy, but like almost nothing because there really wasn't much to read. Um, and it was like, they're really weird. Why are they picking that movie this early? Because like 2014 is still fairly early in the MCU. Yeah. Um, especially for like movie frequency, because now we're getting like multiple movies a year. Right. Um, almost more than you can even go see. And plus TV shows and all that. But at that time, there was not a whole lot out. So it was just kind of yeah, like, this was oh, this the, is weird. the 10th MCU movie. Which is, yeah, I mean, right. that's still pretty. I mean, you're halfway through phase one or pretty close to halfway through. So it's like, whatever. Or not phase one, sorry. Phase, phase two. three, two. Phase two. Hold on. So then, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. You're halfway through the Infinity Saga, um, roughly. And it's like, it, it just seemed weird. And who cares about these characters? Uh, not really anybody. And then I went and saw it. And I think me and probably just about everybody was like, holy crap, that was really good. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, surprisingly good and i really enjoyed it and i've i don't know i've seen it a half a dozen times probably since and it still holds up i know courtney's yeah, coming in and out of the room while, like yeah we were watching it together for part of it for this rewatch and then she was just kind of in and out of the room and like we both just kind of forget how funny it is and how good like it's actually has good story and the action's good so was, i like it yeah, if you're talking about movies that can like stand alone, like you don't have to watch any movies before or after, I think this one, there's like this and Iron Man in the MCU. And that's basically it. Like you don't really need to watch yeah. any other movies and it's still a great, great movie. But yeah, it is true. Yeah, there's just not much needed. Yeah, it is like the, I mean, at this point, MCU had done a lot of, at the point of 2014, they've used a lot of characters that weren't like pub publicly super popular like they chose you know thor and iron man over the x-man fantastic four spider-man for the mcu and they've been successful with that but then with guardians of the galaxy they chose characters that even like semi-comic people had never heard of like i had never heard of the guardians until this movie and yeah. it kind of made it better where they could do them slightly differently yeah uh so you didn't have like yondu wasn't in a loincloth with a bow and arrow they did it like a, a different like a cooler outer spacey vibe yeah 
they were definitely going for a Star Wars space epic kind of vibe, and I think they yeah. clearly succeeded. They were smart with a lot of their early selections. Like, I know a lot of people have said, well, like, Iron Man, I heard somebody call him a C-level character, and I'm like, well, he had a yeah, TV no. show, and he had a, a cartoon in the 90s. Uh, he's well-known. He was certainly not, like, a. he's not even a B-list character. You only had X-Men, Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, and then you had the rest. So, like, yeah. because of their hands being tied, like you said, with, like, Fantastic Four and X-Men, they had less stuff to pick from, but it's almost like... I don't know. It's like the pressure's off, I guess, when you make Guardians because nobody cares about Star-Lord in general. Nobody cares about Rocket or Groot. Now they do, but at the time, it's like, I mean, I knew who Drax was, but I didn't really know him from anything other than very small supporting little mentions, small things. Most of the characters that are in this, I only knew from reading the Infinity Gauntlet, like the Jim Starlin Infinity Saga stuff. Yeah. But that was truthfully not not a whole lot of people outside of comic fans really read those stuff it's so i don't know if if they just thought hey it takes the pressure off let's just go ahead and do it yeah and there's no like chance know. of fans being pissed at them for ruining a character by changing it like when yeah the amazing like, spider-man came out people up. didn't like that characterization because they love spider-man but that's not oh, gonna happen yeah. with star lord when you don't even know who that is so there's so much more freedom there right and they really yeah there's that. that's yeah i think you kind of take away that whole like uh angry toxic fan base that um so there's a guy up to task he's on twitter so task he said it he maybe isn't the first person who said it but he's the one i remember seeing it where it's like spider-man fans hate spider-man because no matter what you do with spider-man you have half of the spider-man fanhood they all hate it they're just so mad that you did it (laughs) yeah why'd you make that it's not the cartoon i hate it and uh but you don't have that with guardians because everybody's like who are those guys i don't care and even comic like i'm like yeah, I know who they are, sure. Um, mostly there was there were characters I didn't know who they were, I'm sure, at the time. But I think like Nebula I and Gamora them. are the only two that I knew going into it, and I might even be making that up. Yeah, and and they were Star Lord. Nebula had a significant piece in the Jim Starlin Infinity Saga right. stuff. Uh and you'd have Gamora had been used in I think she was using a game. But she'd been in some supporting comic stuff. Um, I had I knew who Rocket Raccoon was. I don't think I knew about Groot at all. I might have, but I don't remember. And I knew Yondu only from seeing him. I think I read a Guardians book. I don't even remember what book it was, but it was, gosh, I think it was from the 70s. And he was like, he looked like kind of a standard, like a Native American warrior kind of vibe. And he had a bow and arrow. <laughs> That was okay. That's cool. Whatever. Nothing that I cared about or paid attention to. Yeah. Um, I think at the time I even was like, "Oh, that's that guy." Because I was like, "Who is Yandu?" I don't. Oh, uh, really? And then I, but I was like, "Oh, yeah, I remember this," but not enough to actually know why. So it wasn't people I cared about. You'd have to get some pretty deep, living in your mom's basement comic nerds who cared about those things. I think. Yeah. No, they're one of the most popular characters out there, like Maisie. <laughs> She knows she doesn't know who Reed Richards was, but she knew Star Lord and Moon Knight, and that's it. We're just in a crazy world. And this movie is also hugely important. It doesn't even make it sense. First, it was like Iron Man is funny. There's a lot of funny movies, but this was the first movie I think that was like meant to be a comedy too in the MCU. Yeah, and, and it Ant-Man was like, that again, said, like and a, then... it had was still like a space epic kind of that cosmic soap opera that comic books often are. It was very. There was a lot of drama and a lot of ridiculous over the top outer spacey stuff. 
with action comedy all throughout. Yeah. Let's do awards. So for the I Am Iron Man Award, best single line. Um, I felt like I didn't have a lot of options, so I we are the Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> which is essentially I am Iron Man, but in this movie. Like, yeah, okay. I put <laughs> I put that as the number one too, but like the whole thing where Ronan says, "Who are you?" and then oh, like the says, series. he says, "You said it yourself, bitch. We're the Guardians of the Galaxy." That's like perfect line for his character. I love that. It was yeah, it was kind of in tune with the corniness of the scene already, and then like just his sassy mouth all the time yeah but yeah it got like it was like silly comedy and then it got super serious and like zooms in on his face and he's really guardians of the galaxy oh yeah and like that was, they, i mean that was <laughs> there the, were other uh, lines that i liked better like for funny sake probably but like that was as far as like the i am iron man vibe i don't know that was the only one i thought of a couple other good lines i liked uh thanos saying your politics bore me your demeanor is that of a petulant child that's oh, not like yeah. the best line or anything Oh, and then he says, I will bathe the starways in your blood. That one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that I was just, a really good. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, it just goes so freaking hard. And it sets up Thanos as a as a terrifying, really well-developed big bad guy. And then I think number one B is uh Star-Lord's um uh what's what I'm looking for? Like a little speech, is a little inspiring speech to the Guardians. He says, Life has given us a chance. Uh, Drax says to do what? He says to give a shit for once, not run away. I'm not going to stand by and watch as Ronan takes away billions of lives. Uh, it was just hugely important in the in the shift. We saw a movie of of Quill going from this criminal junker to the hero who eventually helps save the universe. I say that, but he kind of screwed up his job in Infinity War to save the universe. <laughs> that hasn't I happened yet, though. I couldn't watch even like Parks and Rec for like a year after that because I hated him so much. Uh yeah that but that little motivational speech thing too that i mean you could probably put that under your hawkeye award as well but uh but yeah i i actually had that thanos line to ronan um because i'm going through like as i'm watching i'm kind of like writing stuff down that i thought worked yeah just in case I'm like well i don't want to forget in case i don't come up with something better and uh him the bathing the stars in your blood i was like there that's good i like that. yeah that's just it's but not I've like also, the best yeah. line but it's just so like oh my that's i'm kind something. of a sucker for thanos stuff anyway um so i yeah i've always liked him so that's i mean he's a bad he's bad but you know yeah you like Whatever. him as a person right yeah he's he's a cool guy i just think he's misunderstood he's actually he's a decent friend yeah team thanos uh i'm gonna go i'm actually gonna go to the hawkeye award for the most unexpectedly inspiring moment because that speech totally should have been been here because that that was just a, I think, top tier MCU inspiring speech. But just yeah. the the subtle change of Quill the whole time is kind of inspiring. Like even after um, they realize what's in the orb that it's in Infinity Stone, he wants to keep out of Ronan's hands just to save his own life because he's you know one of the idiots in the universe. Yeah, it's still kind of selfish, but <laughs> yeah. But then juxtapose that with a couple of scenes later, and he's like giving that speech, just genuine chills. Um, also, this one I think. This is a very unexpectedly inspiring moment, but uh, when after Drax is all depressed because he called Ronan, screwed everything up, and everybody hates him, whatever, um, and the rocket says, "No, oh, boo-hoo, my wife and child yeah. are dead. <laughs> Everyone's got dead people. It's no excuse to get everyone else killed along the way." That was kind of inspiring. Like, yeah, Drax is depressed, but it's no right. He has no right to 
ruin everybody else's day, right? Yeah, it's like it starts off as like really mean and offensive, and then it turned into like inspirational and just kind of objectively accurate. Yeah, um, we're talking about real world like qualities to learn. That's one of them. That that was a pretty in general. I almost actually wrote. Um, I can't remember which piece, but of that little scene with the three of them, I almost put that one in for the un- unexpectedly inspiring moment. And then I, I bailed, bailed enough that I didn't write it down. I just had the thought and was like, Hey, this is kind of nice. I'm like, yeah. nah, there'll be some, there's going to be something else. I don't know. <laughs> Did you have another one then besides that speech and then the, uh, for, the rocket bashing for Hawkeye? For the, Award? Uh, oh yeah. For Hawkeye Award, I put a uh, Groot protecting the whole team with his tree ball bush thing. Oh yeah. And, uh, and his "We Are Groot" line, which we'll talk about that later, I guess. Um, but yeah, it was like because unexpected because I didn't really expect Groot to do anything. I mean, now I've seen it a bunch of times, right? But the first time, it's like, oh, there's a tree guy, and he's kind of yeah. there for like comic relief. I mean, frequently he's like in the background doing silly things, um, and he's weird, and he doesn't talk right, and he's got like he just does dumb stuff like drinking out of the fountain pulling the battery before he's supposed to like all this silly crap so then for him to kind of like he's like i don't want to somebody who likes groot's gonna freak out uh he's kind of like a dog um (laughs) he just like does stupid things but he's also like super loyal and cares so then it's like that moment where he envelops the team in his weird bush ball thing is uh like showing that the whole team is now like under his care and then his obviously the we are Groot him speaking out of his normal speech pattern um where it's like self-sacrifice so then the whole team is like oh man look what he did for us now we have to do stuff yeah and this is like the first superhero sacrifice too like i can't think of any, any other superheroes until this point in the mcu who had died which was kind of an issue in the mcu yeah, for a little bit nobody people was dying complain, it was yeah but that it's was like weird the... how many people complained about that, about people not dying. But then, like, yeah. I saw so I'm not a big Game of Thrones guy. Um, but I remember I specifically tried to watch it because of the Red Wedding thing. And I remember people crying because their main, their favorite characters died. And I'm like, but we don't want them to die here. But in, in Marvel, we want them to die. Yeah. Which is it? But like, but you're right. I think he was. Uh, there's Frigga in the Dark World, but she's not on the same level as yeah. like, Groot, a superhero. I don't know. Oh, I guess like, Coulson. Uh, Coulson died. Coulson, yeah, Coulson, but both of them don't die, die. So it's like... Oh, well, in this podcast, I mean, pretend Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't exist, so Coulson died, died. Oh, that's weird. Um, So, <laughs> yeah, so it was like... But I remember in the theater, I remember people like exclaiming because they thought Groot was dead, dead. They were like what like people were really mad (laughs) like i remember hearing like upset people uh mostly women that it were like people really liked groot uh yeah because i think because he's like a dog everybody likes dogs more than they like people yeah so it's like yeah so they're like i can't believe you killed him it's like it it's like if you kill the dog that's how they were acting uh and then (laughs) at the end so then everybody's happy because he comes back but but that was yeah that's what i th- I thought that one was because i didn't expect it to happen i didn't expect uh him to do it and i didn't expe- expect him to provide inspiration i guess i'll go with the ragnarok award um because i i just i don't know i think ronan has to probably be the pick because he's not yeah. in anything else really 
Um, so it's the best he really had an opportunity to be. It also for me is maybe Groot's best. Um, but I haven't, as I go through rewatching, I may change my mind on that. So I put Groot kind of question mark. Um, yeah, Groot's tough because it's a, basically a totally different character than the other ones. Like you never see a big Groot again. Like you see yeah. baby Groot and they see teenage Groot. And this was, and again, like this is like big. Well, no, because he sacrificed later when he gets his, he makes his arm into Stormbreaker. So it's not the same though. Um, yeah. But then also um, the Nova Corps guys um, that John C. Riley and Peter Serafinovich play, those yeah. guys, I guess, because that's really, that's like the most we get out of them. Um, yeah, I don't think we I, ever I see like, them again. So I think I couldn't remember the... if we did. And I, I was in my head, I thought we saw one of them. In I like thought that too. Marvel or something, but I couldn't remember. So I'm like, eh, maybe them. To me, probably Ronan has to be just because he didn't really do anything else. Yeah, he was in Captain Marvel too. And like the Nova Corps, they so, weren't yeah, in any other they weren't in any other movies. So they're more yeah. more first Avenger award people for the best one off yeah. character. Um but Ronan, he was in another one and he was in this one, and he was really good in this one. I'm, I'm gonna talk about yeah, how much I like his... him later this was his best but i also had some complaints about him so that's it's kind of i feel weird talking out of both sides of my mouth on that one but whatever <laughs> uh, i put drax as the peak um because he's still an awesome fighter and i think you see him in better action scenes in this one than you see later but later he devolves kind of into like comic relief but in this he yeah, was kind of funny he was the straight man and all the com- all the comedies coming off of him off his uber yeah. seriousness but then later ones, basically all he does is crack jokes and that, that kind of gets old. That's a classic case of like film made filmmakers exaggerating like small character points and bringing out way too far. Yeah, um, this is uh, Eric in Boy Meets World. Uh, yeah. That's that. <laughs> yeah, I always think of that because he was not super stupid when the show started and people laughed at him being stupid. So then he was completely an idiot and completely incompetent by the time they he somehow got into college and got even dumber, which is accurate for a lot of people. But he was like borderline couldn't live by himself stupid by the end of that show <laughs> yeah he had the uh the yeah, but spoiled. you're right i think they did that with drax too sure. where he he's the comic relief because he's the butt of the joke or like not getting the joke and then later he makes jokes yeah and i weird. didn't like that version as much um i think Some he was of his also... comic relief in this was like he's funny because he's not being funny yeah so it's kind of weird and I, I think in this, he was really good as a sympathetic character, too. And they kind of took that away later because that's all he's his whole purpose is getting back at Ronan and later Thanos. And they kind of let that go in later movies. Um, yeah, everybody loves the good revenge story. But I think yeah, you're right. I don't remember them ever really talking about his wife and daughter after this movie. Yeah, like he, he'll charge at Thanos and ruin Quill's plan and Infinity War. But outside of that, that's that's pretty much it. And this one, when he's sitting there after, like, by himself, after he called Ronan and screwed everything up, and he's sitting there all depressed and his failure, and he comes to this realization that he has to do better. I like that a lot, and I think that was that was a peak, and he went downhill from there. Mm. Still love him though. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Eternals Award for could this have been a limited series? I think I've said this about pretty much every Phase Two movie except for the Dark World because I said it sucks too much to have enough content for six episodes. <laughs> but it probably could have been. Uh, I think it would have been actually a, a limited series in this time. Like its main purpose was characterization, just all the Disney plus stories are for. Um, and it constantly shifts settings, which would be good for, you know, one episode here, one episode at Nova, one episode in the prison, whatever. Um, it also would have made sense to introduce Thanos 
like on a small scale before they introduce him like big time in a main role, kind of like they did with Kang and Loki. I mean, they did. So this is Thanos like first big appearance with Josh Brolin being the voice, but he did yeah, he show had a up. face in Avengers. Yeah. yeah but that was it. Um, I put no, but more that it, not that it couldn't be, but it, that I didn't, the movie as it was, it wasn't very long. It, uh, mm-hmm. so not really, but I think that if it was done, like you said, like now, if they did it kind of like Firefly style with like a, like a space Western kind of vibe, which they're already doing with Mandalorian. They're doing that kind of with Halo, uh, which I'm not done with, but you know, whatever. And they're, they did that. Obviously Firefly is like the big one. Um, so I think they definitely could have done it in all of those places you mentioned could have been like their own episodes for sure. Like you could have had 30 minutes to an hour out of every one of those places. So then instead of the movie being, I mean, what was the runtime? Like barely two, two hours. Yeah. I think it was like two Oh one. Okay. Yeah. So then you could have probably stretched it into four or maybe, maybe even six episodes. Yeah. I think um, I'm actually might be changing. I don't think there was enough content for a full series. Cause like, as it was, it yeah. felt like a full movie, and there weren't like if they added up, yeah, it didn't it would feel have felt kind of fluffed yeah. out. So maybe that's, that's where I that. felt like there wasn't any real filler. Yeah. Um, so like I put no, but that I would enjoy a series of some of their lesser exploits. Like if we just had um, a series that came out that was a handful of episodes, short, long, I don't care. Um, that's kind of in that Firefly Western style where they're going through space doing jobs or whatever yeah. little things. Like not like, like one oh, continuous is... story, but like an actual like yeah. traditional like, show. Yeah. Just like a regular old show. And it's just like, here's some stuff. And you could kind of agents of shield style, subtly introduce some characters who may actually be significant later. Yeah. Um, but that, or, or um, I wouldn't mind seeing like a limited series from like contest of champions. Cause this, you know, with this show bringing in the collector, um, I think that would be cool. But the Taika Waititi Award for funniest moment, I I put a couple because I felt like the whole movie was consistently funny. There weren't any parts where I like peed myself laughing. Yeah, but I was never too far away from laughing at any point in the movie. Um, and really, I don't think there were any jokes where I was like that was dumb. Like I laughed at. I think I think I laughed at everything that they wanted me to laugh at. So stolen leg right in the prison scene, that whole thing. <laughs> just when he's when it cuts from like there's you know the huge action and the big action music and then it just cuts away you need my what and then we laughed in the action we're sitting here kind of like just i don't remember we were like eating shrimp or something i was hungry so we're like watching and it is it's all this fun action and it's like quill has no idea that's even happening and he's just chilling talking to this guy trying to get his leg from him yeah and then like it's funny again then when it goes back and rockets like oh yeah i didn't even need that that was yeah funny. like that's funny um the pelvic sorcery line uh makes me laugh just those two words that's that's yeah because that's funny right there and then gamora being totally dead serious and not funny about it made it better um i couldn't really quite settle on what was the funniest so like uh when the scene you're talking about earlier where um boohoo your you know get over your dead family crap uh and, and the way Groot like gasps and covers his mouth it was really funny yeah um even though it's not supposed to be like a funny scene that piece was funny that was a good part of this um, and that's what they start doing later like since this movie just like throwing like little funny 
like stuff like that where he gasps in yeah a, in a funny way it's like it doesn't uh, yeah and it doesn't break up the seriousness enough to ruin the moment yeah but you know there's that um pretty much anything rocket was involved in was really funny i feel like bradley cooper was is did such a good job with the voiceover and being like that kind of new yorky accent and just mouthy sassy rude crap all the time um and then I, I don't know. I feel like pelvic sorcery is going to win out, but I also put the uh, finger to the throat means death when, <laughs> like later, because Drax was so dead serious, not being funny, and he just said that, and they're like, "All right, cool." <laughs> <laughs> that was that part was like especially funny because like it didn't, I don't know, it just didn't make sense, you know? Like yeah, it wasn't like it was, a cheeky, funny, witty comment. It's just like what? Yeah, why would you? And anybody who wasn't Quill or one of the other team members would be like, "Why?" What is he saying? Yeah. It was funny. Yeah, I think I think this might be I don't want to say that. It might be the funniest MCU movie. I think Quill's definitely the funniest character because he does all the the funny little pop culture references that you might miss if you yeah. don't listen closely, like Tony does. Like, hey, Ranger yeah. Rick. Uh, but he, he's also yeah, like no. way less cool, <laughs> but then he thinks he's a bunch cooler, which is that makes it a lot funnier. Um, I put the you need my what? I put that as number one, and yeah. then I also put yeah. uh in this big dramatic conversation, Drax is talking about how much he loves his friends. He thinks they might die soon. He's like, I love you guys. You're my friends. And he says, this green whore, this green whore is my friend. And then like two love, seconds yeah, later, the tree the, yeah. <laughs> and two seconds later, he just shoots Nebula mid monologue. And he's like, nobody talks to my friends like that. Yeah. That's the, right I think that's the one part. <laughs> that was, yeah, it was funny. I think that and the leg part of the two were actually, like burst out laughing so then the leg part's gonna have to win because we both said it that's there you go. This. and we'll give it to the leg yeah, part. That was, uh, this dumb tree is my friend i was just like oh that's funny and a green horror that's funny and then immediately like defends her honor after calling her a horror <laughs> that was funny yeah i'm gonna go with the first avenger award for best one-off character uh you mentioned them in peak characters peak but all the nova prime characters specifically yep. glenn close and john c Riley. i think john c Riley gets the award he's just so good in this balancing like yep. he's basically comic relief but he's like a believable you know space cop too yeah. and he was serious a couple times yeah so i give it to him i had him in my uh my first avenger award list too so he there was uh i was between him um peter serafinowicz who's he was he's Sal. the other or Probably Saul or whatever they called him. Yeah. And yeah. then John C. Riley was Day. I don't know. But they're both so they're both known for Peter Serafinowicz is known for big time for comedy. Like he's ridiculous funny. He does so many voiceovers. He's Darth Maul's voice in Phantom Menace. He's uh he wow. can do so many voices. It's insane. He played the tick in the Amazon show. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still partial to the Patrick Warburton one, but he was good in that. Like he's a super talented, funny comedy guy. John C. Riley, everybody knows from like Step Brothers and silly stuff, but he's also a very good actor and has done some serious stuff too. So it's just, they, I don't know, they're both funny and kind of playing like goofy and straight back and forth. Um, but I also kind of had backups where I was like, I really like Benicio del Toro as the collector. I thought he's he's just really good anyway. Yeah. Um, and then um, Jumon Hansu as Korath because. He to me is like the superhero of all super movies because he's in every universe multiple times. Um, that guy, like he does 
everything. He's yeah. he's been in DC Universe multiple times. He's been in the MCU multiple times. What he's was he in, in the DC show? Uh, he's one of the people in Aquaman. Uh, he uh, also, gosh, I think he did two or three different roles. I I made a chart at one point a few years ago because I was like, man, this guy's in everything, and I just was like, I was doing this weird, stupid project that I thought would be fun uh for a podcast at one point where it was like the map of it was like a six degrees of separation kevin bacon kind of thing but it was like how one giant interconnected superhero universe because of all the actor overlap that they've had um yeah the chart basically like i said zoe Saldana was one of the ones i thought of because i'm like oh she was already in a dc movie and then i started realizing um Jimon Hansu. He oh, he was the wizard for Shazam and Black Adam. And oh yeah, too. okay. That's um, yeah, that's the big but one. He's, I knew he's he was also, in one, but I couldn't place it. I think he's in like three different Marvel roles. I can't remember. There's a bunch of them. And Josh Brolin too, because he was Jonah Hex. Um okay, and well. and obviously Thanos and Cable. Um, and you have a bunch of people that have like crossed over. And then now um Jimon Hansu did a voiceover for the Invincible uh animated series. Um, he's been anyway so he's i always just kind of like seeing him do stuff but uh but yeah i i think the nova officers were my ultimate win out i had them listed overall number one yeah jermon hansen he he was korath and i yeah i wanted to put him here but he was in captain marvel so that's true yeah same thing with uh ronin who probably would i would have given it to you and i think uh doesn't the collector come back in another episode or another movie collectors in the dark world and endgame maybe one more i remember seeing him in the dark world i haven't watched the dark i have not watched the dark world in a long time i watched part of it in a hotel three years ago and I've not act. I've not actively gone out of my way to watch it. In fact, I think going into Endgame when we were going to watch every single one of them, I think I still. Uh, I did the. I can't remember who does them. They're just like recaps. It was like a six-minute recap of the movie, <laughs> <laughs> which is like three more than you really need. Yeah, I was subjected to it a couple weeks ago because I'm doing this. Um, yeah, yeah. He was just in. He was in this Dark World. In a in a post credit and then Fendi War. I think it said Endgame yeah. So Fendi War. right there, then the, the Nova officers went out. Yeah, there you go. Um, I guess I'll do the MacGuffin, um, the Infinity Saga award. Though I don't know that I'd call it frustrating. Um, yeah, I agree. It's obviously it's the orb, Infinity Stone, that that thing, which is pretty much in in one way or the other the macguffin for the entire infinity saga anyway is yeah some kind of orb or cube or something holding a stone um but yeah it's i don't know that's just really what it was the whole time was that one yeah like this one was probably the least frustrating of all it was like this and maybe the tesseract in um yeah in first avenger it was kind of a little worse in avengers but not as bad in, in captain america um, but it's drafted like a phase two MacGuffin, like a classic one. But it's important enough to the actual plot here to make it not too frustrating of a MacGuffin. Uh, but at yeah. the end of the day, it's a plot device to put Ronin versus the Guardians and then to introduce Thanos. So it still is that classic MacGuffin, but it's not done in an annoying way like a, once again, the Dark World did. And I would say probably Age of Ultron is another kind of annoying MacGuffin movie. Um I'll, I'll let you know after I rewatch it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to rewatch the one. That's that's I think the biggest one that like that's why it's called the 
Age of Ultron award for this was way cooler after seeing the next, yeah. next five movies because it's way better after having seen the later ones. I will but. tell you, like, so I remember, I think my first experience watching a 4K television was Age of Ultron. And it like blew my freaking mind. We went like the scene where they're like, you know, early in the movie where they're like raiding the compound and uh, there's like all these explosions and stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know high def got even higher. This is crazy. And uh, yeah. But that's not really any, that's not really a testament to the movie itself. That's it just was me not understanding how 4K worked. I'm going to do the Captain Marvel award for the character that inexplicably didn't help save the world. So I didn't really have a good answer. Good, I thought you might. Uh, I was going to ask you for clarification. That's the one I was thinking of. Anyway, oh, really? Continue. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, just for you, I guess, that's like cool. in um, Iron Man 3, it didn't really make sense that he wouldn't talk to Captain America to help save the president. And yeah. so, like in Avengers, why wouldn't Fury call Captain Marvel when the, like that's the reason he got the yeah. pager? Um, but this one, I didn't really gotcha. have a good, like, that's I think perfect. the only real answer here is Captain Marvel because Nova is important enough for her to try and save yes so that, but, that was yeah but she didn't really have a way to know it was happening it was all happening kind of quick so i don't i don't really think that was a good one i don't know um so that's that's good though that means i answered it correctly at least or at least with the correct mindset yeah. um i put thor and captain marvel um more captain marvel than thor but also i put i, I put in parentheses i know the rules but silver surfer i thought would be cool but obviously <laughs> there's rules and like he can't be there but uh yeah like for me thor not maybe too much but specifically because like gamora's sword and i think this is mcu canon is as guardian steel so and it's like you know it's like called the god slayer sword or whatever so it's supposed to be it's connected there somehow asgard has like this whole thing he's intergalactically whatever connected to all these different events but they didn't really explore that in the movies yet so it's not really fair for me to point that one out um but captain marvel i thought it was just kind of weird like obviously now looking back like why on earth would she have not been called aside from obviously the movie not being out yet and all that yeah because... that's, at the end of the day that's the answer is that it, they didn't know yeah captain marvel so this one like it's there. set in as far as i know it's set in 2014 like that's the year it's supposed to be yeah they say that in um, the game that it's definitely 2014 so she she's connected with both the Kree and the Nova Corps mm-hmm. and she can travel like ridiculous fast. So it's like, Hey, Captain Marvel help. Oh, I'm here. Cool. Yeah. And um, I guess, I guess that's fair too. Cause <laughs> she is connected with the Nova Corps. So, and, and she's she certainly Fury a pager. She probably gave yeah. a similar thing to the Nova. And she's so. certainly aware of Ronan um, yeah. as, as a person who lived with and trained with the Kree um, or against the Kree dealt with the Kree. Sorry. Um, so she's, raised in that kind of life knowing about Cree, dealing with Cree, and she's like not paying attention to one of the most powerful bad guys kind of roaming around that area like he's known everywhere they go they're like ronin and they're like oh not that guy i don't want to mess with him so she obviously knows who that is yeah i feel like it's not a big step for old glenn close to be like hey come on and help us out yeah and she would have ended it in like seven seconds too I'm Do you gonna think go... Glenn Close was in this for like an unfinished Disney contract from when she did the 101 Dalmatians movies? Honestly, that makes sense. And it just that... seemed weird because like, not that she's not great and whatever, but I'm like, I haven't seen Glenn Close in anything in a really long time and she's here in a superhero movie. God. <laughs> That's actually a great question for the She-Hulk Award for answers to questions that don't need to be asked. So we'll lead right into that <laughs> one. Glenn Close, 
maybe under contract. And that's why, or obviously. Under, I guess, yeah, we can throw under. that in there. It's better than the one I asked. <laughs> <laughs> My question, has Ronan never seen anyone dance before? I think that's why he's so shocked <laughs> at Quill dancing to the point where he totally gives up his crusade that he's been living his whole life for to end Nova. He gives it all up just to watch him wiggle around for a little bit. I yeah. say he totally grew up in like a footloose town and didn't even like recognize what yeah. Quill, Quill was doing. Sticks up their butts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the only logical explanation for why that stupid scene would actually work in universe. That's what's always, you know, it's, it's kind of like a classic trope is like the bad guy is going to monologue or do something instead of just shutting up and murdering everybody. And Ronan has really, that's two bouts of that. Cause he could have killed Drax in like a split second, but he played around and was being dumb. I and think then that's later, a, that's another distracted by different dance. trope. That's the, like, I don't think this guy I'm fighting is that powerful. So like, I'm just going to toss you away and it's it. And then he comes back to help kill him. But that's another bad guy trope. Bad guys would think more clearly. It's like, hey, this is a guy who means nothing to me. I'm just going to uh, completely disintegrate him right now. Yeah. And actually, he the means fact nothing. <laughs> they totally laid waste to literally everybody in the prison. Like yeah. he, I mean, obviously he's he likes slaughtering people, so you'd think he would have killed Drax. Yeah. But. You're all meaningless. I'm gonna kill you now, except this guy who I'm gonna do some weird upside down hand grippy throat flip and not kill you into weird creepy gooey. But yeah, the the water. dancing that's that's a good one. I think your She Hulk award's better than mine. Mine was more like, uh, why does Quill's skin just magically recover when he comes in from outer space and after grabbing the Infinity Stone? I don't know what that is um it just seems weird it's not a, it's not as fun a question it's just like <laughs> i don't get it he's in space you see his skin getting pitted out and having holes in it then he's on the ship and it's just better and then the infinity stone his face is like coming apart and then he comes out and has like a little bit of blood yeah he's got like, like a little cut from holding in what happened stone? to his face how did his face and i i know people are gonna be like oh well because he's like part god or whatever i'm like yeah but I don't think that that covers that because yeah, he doesn't no. have any healing powers that we know of. Obviously, not even later. So, you know, I don't know. Weird. Yeah. But I like yours better. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think I picked two in a row, so you're up. Did you? Uh, what's left? Did we, we didn't do Age of Ultron Award yet, so we, uh, we talked about it. We came close. Uh, yeah. Age of Ultron Award, way cooler after seeing, after seeing the next five movies. Uh, I guess I put stuff about his dad. Cause like when you're, when we were watching it, it was like, who cares? I don't care about who his dad is. And I think, I don't know in the comics at the time who his dad really was. I don't know if ego was actually said in the comics to be his dad. And I can tell you at the time, I was like, I don't know who his dad is. I feel like there was some conversation speculation at the time of like, Oh, maybe his dad's like a celestial or something. Cause his mom had all these comments about like angel or whatever, but then, which is like, you can't really have that because it was just weird. And I, I don't think I knew one way or the other. I knew who ego was, but separately from this, that's thanks to the silver surfer cartoon of the nineties. But anyway, all of the stuff about his dad made more sense down the road. Yeah. There's a couple hints to his dad progressively getting more and more like on point to who actually it was like the first one. She said his dad was an angel and that, you know, yeah. he could just be saying that. And then later, uh shoot what's his name craglin is that his name sean goon yeah, yeah. craglin says to uh uh yon dude it's a good thing we didn't deliver him to his dad so that's another yeah, little yeah, yeah. piece and then at the and end they said a couple in the only yeah. yeah yeah uh I so that's like the though, whole weird thing peter quill's dad in the comics was 
Jason, J apostrophe son, the emperor of Spartax. There you go. I don't know who that is. So not ego. Yeah. Not ego. Um, so I was pretty sure that he that, that wasn't his dad was. In the, um, yeah. But yeah, I think now they have made him. It just depends because they have all these different earths and settings and whatever. And they have some of the comics that are just kind of doing their own thing. And then other ones, it's like a movie came out. We're going to make comics to kind of go along with it. I don't know. Don't care. Yeah. There's a, there, like going off of that, there's a lot of like sequel based things that made this movie age well. Not necessarily like MCU overarching, but like just based on Gardens Galaxy Volume 2, like his dad. Yeah. The relationship between Yandu and Quill. The fact that we think in this one, Yandu's this, you know, bad guy, space pirate. But then by yeah, 2017, what's up? They evolved him nicely for the second movie. Yeah. Like there's some subtle stuff in this one that leads to that really well. Like he threatens him with the arrow um, yeah. when he has him prisoner, but he talks his way out, out of it. And then Yadu know, kind of smirks. Like obviously he knows he's going to talk his way. He's not actually going to kill him. Um, but then it really develops well in volume two. Oh, so Quill is talking to Drax about how he's from a place of outlaws, like Bonnie and Clyde, Billy the Kid, whatever. And Drax mm. says, sounds like a place I'd like to visit. And then he does. That was nice. <laughs> <Then he does. laughs> yeah, you went like more more deep thought than I did on that. Yeah. Um, this was also our first real look at Thanos as like the the genocidal maniac versus like yeah. Endgame versus the Infinity That's War. That's probably version. the best one. Yeah. yeah. Um obviously that one has to get cooler because it's like like you said, this is like the very initial holy crap, we get to see his whole body and he talks. Yeah, but then when you like, see when you see Infinity War, you think kind of like, oh, I totally misjudged this character because he's got good intentions. And then by Endgame, you're like, oh, wait, no, he's just a sociopath. He wants to kill everybody. Yeah, good intentions. That was one of my, that'll, that's my pick a nit for that movie, by the way, when that, <laughs> just to get ahead to it was, why does he like have sort of good intentions? I don't like I that. I guess it was, um, we, I'll talk about that later, but it was a million times different from the um, the comic version and I kind of liked it and then they kind of went back so I, I, I thought it was really good kind of mix between I did wind movies. up I did wind up enjoying it I was initially kind of like hey that's not eh, he doesn't need motive what are we doing here yeah but uh, um, you know whatever uh, but yeah then, I, me and Courtney were talking about like what's he doing like it's cool when we get to see him and I remember being like giddy and excited because I'm like oh my gosh Thanos is on the screen this is so cool and then but it's like, does he just sit in this rock chair until people bring him stuff? He's just like, I'm just going to sit here, boy. Go get me my stones, and I'm just going to sit here. Don't make me get out of my chair. Yeah. And then, like, later he's like, okay, now I got all the stones, so I'll get out of my chair. Like, it's just – it's kind of a cool life. You just sit there and stare across the universe there. But yeah, like, what's he doing? Dennis. Does he have to – he doesn't have to take care of himself or, like, stay healthy. He just sits in this chair all day. Okay, the, the beginning of this movie where he's dancing to come and get your love – a yeah. little dance. I think that I don't know if it like ages really well. It, it's just funny seeing now the version of we see in Endgame because in this it's yeah. funny, but like if you really think about it, that's really weird that he's doing that. And then they in in the movie they're like, "That's this guy's an idiot. He's just dancing around." Yeah, it was. I remember seeing it and being like, "Wait a second, Th what are they doing? They're doing like a dance number." But because it's in his headphones, you're like, "Okay, yeah. people do that kind of stuff. They dance around." Like, you know, when people aren't looking, some people do when people are looking. I was just honestly, before I got on this, I was dancing around to uh, to Huey Lewis after a shower. So I can't, I can't touch Will. <laughs> yeah, that was, I still love that opening scene. And I remember watching it with my in-laws. So keeping in mind, my mother-in-law at one point had told me this is shortly after the first Avenger came out. So we were at their house playing Xbox and then we're talking about comic books 
and she said something about she's like you still read comic books aren't you getting like old for that and then I was like, nah, it's cool. And then she said something a couple minutes later about how like Captain America is like her favorite movie. And I was like, ha, aha, you know, we're all watching this. And then by the time we got to Guardians of the Galaxy, they're like all in. And that scene cracked them up. It's, they, <laughs> they're just laughing. And I think that probably shows when something ages well, when it's like the nerds like it and the non-nerds also enjoy it. And it's kind of yeah. universally okay. Yeah. It also helps that, you know, their upbringing was heavily... 70s and 80s music that probably helps a lot so honestly yeah i should i'm gonna mention this so the the first two scenes between his abduction and then that dance that i think just the beginning of this movie started off so so well like it literally felt like a you know 70s 80s classic like kids alien movie getting abducted yeah i'm gonna go with uh pick a knit this one i think is probably being annoying about picking nits, but most of Quill's pop culture references don't really make any sense because he was like eight when he got abducted. That was 26 years ago. How is he going to remember all these like little vague references, like the Ark of the Covenant that he probably saw once after not seeing anything about it, not even not just seeing the movies, but not even talking to anybody about these movies in three decades. And how does his Walkman still work? Like that doesn't make any sense to me. So that one I had, yeah. So I can, I can tolerate the, memories from his formative years but it is because that's like the early structuring of your brain that kind of stuff holds tight even if you see it or do it one time but you're right he doesn't talk to anybody probably other than weird obscure references that nobody else can enter like engage with so that is kind of weird but the walkman thing is like holy crap and i think about that every time i watch them like do, do they make trips back to earth to get the batteries when do they get these batteries because how how did they find some weirdo who's like rocket who can like improvise and build something that's now is like this never ending battery that sits in there. He's got a little baby arc reactor in the back of his Walkman (laughs) or something. Yeah. At the end of the movie, when they rebuild his ship, they have a little cassette player thing like built in there. And so I guess, you know, that makes sense now. Like we built a new technology to play this thing, but until that point he's listening to the Walkman and that thing is not going to be working after three decades. Yeah, and when, that's what, and like, I still have a Walkman. Uh, what? Yeah, I have. Is it functional? I think I think I still have my cassette one somewhere, and I definitely have the CD Walkman somewhere as well. But even, but even as he like upgrades, right? He upgrades to like a reel-to-reel cassette player, which is decades outdated. So it's like, I don't know how they made that work, but it's fun, I guess. Yeah. It's- <laughs> Okay, so Rocket and Drax are super drunk on nowhere. They're like, you know, blast out of their minds. And then two minutes later, they're fighting and flying around. That doesn't make sense. And then Quill... Yeah, they sobered up real fast. Yeah. Quill, like, you know, he sacrifices himself for Gamora because he can't fit two people in the pod. That had, like, big Titanic vibes. Like, you probably could have <laughs> squeezed two people in there. Come on. Yeah, she's she's little. Come on. Yeah. I didn't buy that one. Yeah, that, that one. Yeah, that's weird. Do you have more? I got one that's not a knit. It's somebody else's knit that I'm going to comment on. So you can go first and then I'll go to that one. I had a couple small ones. Um, Quill in space without the helmet. Now that one, it's the skin thing. It's not because, because obviously they explain later he's part celestial and whatever. So he's good. So, okay. That one gets a pass. Uh, We are Groot. Although I did put that as an inspiring moment. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me that he not only changes the I to we, but he also 
changes it to R. So he's actually grammatically correct for a person who a tree person who only says three words. He just did that right. First try. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, not even necessarily do like not even necessarily like the brain neurons being able to form those words, but they say earlier in the movie that his vocal cords can only produce. I am Groot. So which is weird. Yeah. That part originally doesn't really make any sense, but it's an alien body, so it's whatever. Yeah. So, but then the fact that they go against that that to say we are Groot—that's what doesn't make any sense. And it's cute because in the moment it's good, but I'm like at the same time like, eh. Yeah. That's one Um, of the things like when you watch on a rewatch, it's like ah, that's weird. But when you first see it, it's really cool, so it's fine. Yeah. Ronan's pose when he grabs the stone. No. um, I I love that. I think it's weird. Um, Like it's. It's not bad. I don't know why. Like, I like it, and I also, like, don't like it. It just seemed, like, weird. Like, he flailed himself apart when you're like, well, wait, why Why did he do that? But at the same time, I also didn't – it didn't hurt the movie or anything for me. Yeah. I love yeah. that because he's just so dramatic and theatrical. Like, he's one of my favorite MCU bad guys because of moments like that. He's just so freaking dramatic. I, I like that. It's like whoa, whoa, whoa. flail. I like his – really over the top opera you know or not or soap opera type dramatic bad guy stuff but that one was i i'm forcing some nits to pick here um and then another one the one that that probably bothers me the most was nebula being thanos's daughter that bothered me it didn't hurt the story it didn't do anything nobody attending the movies other than comic readers knows that or cares um, it doesn't hurt the story in any way. It was just annoying. Yeah, because in the in the comics, she's granddaughter. But I think I'm fine yeah. with that one. They changed a lot of little stuff like that. And, and like, yeah, I think I'll let it, it go. I think it made more sense in the storyline to have her be like the sister of Gamora pitted against. But it's, yeah, well, it's it one, is of one of those things those where it's like uh, comic it, changes. And you can cut what I'm about to say because it'll probably show up in another one later. But like how Hela is supposed to be Thor's sister. No, I don't like that. <laughs> But if you said, hey, it's actually Loki's daughter from the time he switched to being a woman, that doesn't go so well <laughs> into a big screen. Like, it doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. way too confusing for people. And probably the same with Nebula, where it's like, okay, Thanos is essentially like an ageless space being who lives for many, 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 many years. So, of course, he could have a daughter, adopted daughter, and a granddaughter who are ballpark same age. But I still was like, that's weird. Why'd you do that? But I think that it probably people would have thought it was odd. Like, wait, how's it her? How's it the granddaughter? Like the general populace would have been more like weirded out by her being a granddaughter than I am about her not being. Yeah. I think that's a good point too. Was she a, his blood granddaughter in the comics? Uh, Yeah. I'm trying to remember exactly how that played out, but yeah, she was like his, I can't remember whose relationship or how it formed, but he it was his granddaughter and she like invoked his name as a, she was like a space pirate <laughs> basically, nice. uh, which they kind of, I mean, she kind of does stuff like that, but they, he like froze her in a perpetual state of dying during the infinity saga, yeah. which he kind of did in the movies, uh, which was kind of cool, but not as creepily gruesome. Do you have any more nits? No, no, no. It was like, yeah, the comic was, it was uh, grody. grody. Like it's yeah. like, you it just, well, yeah, uh, those are all my nits. I think probably. Okay, one 
nit that a lot of people say about this movie is that Ronan is like one of the worst MCU bad guys because I think they had an issue for a while where all the bad guys mm-hmm. were underdeveloped and they died off immediately and they weren't that good, which is true. But I don't think Ronan can be part of that because he was underdeveloped, yeah. But you have an ensemble cast where you have to spend equal time developing every one of the good guys right you yeah and you're, you're ratioing and, and yeah four, so, yeah roughly four well five good guys to one bad guy yeah you know? and and really you're trying to spend more time developing thanos than ronin because that's way more important so that's yeah. taking more time away from them so all they really needed from ronin was to be a cool scary warlord and i thought i thought that was it we gave like these deep threatening monologues and just downright terrifying voice and he doesn't hesitate to slaughter everybody except for apparently drax because his only goal is to lay waste to Nova. So I think when you're talking about, like, I, I think he filled his role perfectly. So yeah, he wasn't like this ultra developed, you know, hella Thanos level bad guy, but I really liked him. So anybody who picks the nit that he's one of the worst bad guys in the MCU, you are wrong. Yeah, I never, I never thought at any point that he was like, oh, this is a terrible bad guy. I just thought, hey, it would have been cool to see them really flesh him out as how really truly big time threat he was as a bad guy in the comics he's a super bad dude and i think they touched on it enough for the movie i think most of the people who are complaining about him at least the stuff i read is like uh screen rant type places the like places like screen rant that actively pick nits for the sake of getting clicks yeah um and they're usually not supported with actual like any kind of comic book evidence as dumb as that sounds to even say out loud um <laughs> any they're just it's real just life like, comic here let evidence. me just complain about this thing so you'll click on it and see what a bad thing happened and then you read it and you're like this you didn't read the comic book at all yeah um because I, th- I like you said he played the warlord guy killing for the sake of killing uh that kind of thing he's like a brutal kree guy which so you get to see kind of everything you really need to out of him for the sake of the movies but he's i i would like to see like more about him and i do think that lee pace was really good because i when this came out i had come off of only a few years before that watching the show pushing daisies i don't know if you've ever seen that it's weird it's a super weird show but totally different role from this so when i remember seeing him in this i was like holy crap that's him that's crazy he was uh yeah his voice was super sinister menacing scary stuff um, truthfully, I kind of covered my missed opportunity already with Ronan. Um, I had two missed opportunities. So for missed opportunities, I had Ronan and Contest of Champions. Um, I don't know that they're fully, I think Ronan's fully missed at this point. I don't think they're gonna go back and give you like the whole Ronan the accuser background, yeah, psycho, crazy, cool story. Contest of champions, I don't know that that's really missed yet. Um I think that would be really cool to have as like a mini series like kind of like how they did what if um i think an animated version of that would be cool um or they could i guess they could do it with live action but uh, it'd probably be easier to just have the voiceovers again i don't think it's a missed opportunity it was just kind of close to a missed opportunity because they had the collector in there doing his thing and and i think benicio del toro is a super good actor so they really could have done a lot with that maybe they still will i don't know I put that. I don't think there was really any missed opportunity opportunities. The contest of champions that was a good one. I don't think they're gonna end up going. I kind of force though. those, nah. Because they already they already used the contest of champions name for the the grandmaster and Sakar. So I don't think they're gonna. Yeah, a, a that's new the one. thing. 
that's that that's bummed me out. And I like I with Ronan, there's just gonna be some characters that they underdevelop in the movies because there's not as much space as in the comics. Yeah. Um, but I thought they covered everything pretty well in this movie. And then Guardians of the Galaxy Two wasn't it wasn't that good of a movie, but at least covered all the sequel plot points that w- I would have wanted after seeing this movie. So I don't really have any missed opportunities. So I'll I'll have to watch Guardians of the Galaxy Two again. I've only seen it twice, and I remember really? liking it. Yeah. I mean, I liked it. I'm not gonna. Like, I think Courtney liked it here, but. I think she liked it one. better than the first one, but I liked the first one better, if I remember how that went down. Kurt Russell's great in that movie, so that's that's remember. a good point. I'm going to do what ages the best and worst. I think this this movie's weird because it ages well because it's funny. It's just a quality movie that ages really well. But in some cases, it feels like it doesn't just because it was that first like super grand space opera epic movie that mm. wasn't really existing in the MCU yet. But since we've had like four different movies like that, so it kind of... Um, in that sense, it doesn't really age age super well. Why do you think it ages really well, though, was having uh, Ronan be portrayed as a zealot rather than like a functioning member of the Kree society? Because that made the the twist in Captain Marvel a bunch better because we thought at that point in Captain Marvel, we thought the Kree were going to be good guys. Well, I didn't because yeah. I read comics. Yeah, we kind of knew, right? <laughs> <laughs> but they were portrayed as as good guys. And Ronan was one of them. So we figured just between those two movies, eventually he became this, you know, extremist zealot. Um, and then it turns out that the career actually bad and he's whatever. But having him be portrayed as a zealot in this movie was smart for their future to have the Cree be able to have that that Cree twist later just in their back pocket. I think that's a good one. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I didn't have much because I kind of felt similar where I'm like, nothing really. I just didn't feel like there's anything that aged poorly like when i think of stuff aging poorly it's usually uh jokes a lot of times it's joke related um yeah i go less like political correctness aged poorly and more so just like this isn't as cool now because we've seen it 10 times in the mcu some of it is like a lot of it for me um it's like yeah when you have very decade bound kind of humor or action sequences or or certain things like I think of that with the movie Wanted, like when I saw that, I remember within a week, I was like, you know, some of that was stupid. I didn't like it. And maybe I would like it more, but there was like certain corny things that were done that at the time were really cool. I think you get that a lot with 80s and then like uh, 90s and early 2000s things where you have a lot of, hey, this is really cool. And then 10 years later, you're like, why did I think that was cool? But I mean, it's it's hard with this one because they're they're wearing outer space crap, so kind of anything goes. The there weren't any really jokes to pick from that are just like like you said, like with politically correctness or whatever. And truthfully, I don't care all that much about a lot of that anyway. Um, yeah, it's also Disney. Like, what are they gonna do? It's gonna right exactly. a lot of people. And then like, as far as like aging best, I mean, the movie. It's like you said. I feel like there wasn't a lot of just filler crap for no reason and everything in it was just i don't know it just was a pretty straight through clear movie all the way to the end and it contributed to the mcu overall and it didn't do anything like super pointless because the corny stuff is on purpose so it just makes it like when you're corny on purpose you can get away with it for a lot longer Uh, i'll go cheesiest fight scene and best fight scene i guess um So the final scene is cheesy, but it's good. So it's like that was handily the cheesiest, in my opinion, because it's he, like you said before, he freezes him by dancing. That doesn't even make sense. It's stupid, but it was funny. 
and somehow it like still worked and made for a good scene. Yeah. And they have like the dramatic, like we're all touching each other because we're touching this rock and then look at how our bodies like freeze in time. And we're like, eh, stuck here. But like his whole, the dance thing and singing and being silly, that's obviously cheesy, but again, still good. Um, I think, I think my favorite fight scene overall was probably when they all uh, attack the dark Aster and cause you're getting to see Drax fighting rocket and Groot fighting. Gamora fighting she's separately fighting over you know with with Nebula and then you got Quill doing his thing so you're getting a lot of action and you mentioned earlier like Drax it, this might be his most action um so it was cool to get to see that I saw so I think that was probably my favorite fight scene yeah a really good part of that scene too is that it built up so fast like like the music the speed of the the, the cuts and edits yeah. and everything it just sped up sped up sped up and then it went all the way up until um, they're holding that giant, you know, ship killing gun and shoot Ronan. It's like, Oh, it's silent. It's over. Yeah. And then he's alive. That was cool. So the, just the build up to that point was really, really good. So that's, and the sound, uh, the sound it makes when it detonates is super cool. Yeah. Um, they do a sound like that a couple of times. It was really cool, but yeah, I, I don't know. If the, I don't know if the spaceship stuff counts as fight scenes. I mean, it is fighting. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do one isolated moment is really cool is when they're at nowhere and uh, rocket flies his ship through the other, or he flies that little pod through the necro ship. Yeah. And it's like, that was really cool. Yeah. But overall, after that, that well, it's like these are industrial grade. They're indestructible. Yeah. <laughs> necro blast. It's not what I had in mind. That one was really cool. Yeah. That was good. We I need- put the prison, the prison break is the best fight scene because it introduces all the oh, characters yeah. and their abilities like really, really well in just one montage. And it's funny. Yeah, it's also funny. Yeah, it's pretty lighthearted, but there's still some semblance of stakes. So there's a little bit of stress while watching it. So yeah, I, yeah, I they're, they're was, like doing sad. a heist kind of, it's like a heist and a battle. Yeah. All together. So it's like, it seems like they're doing like this Ocean's Eleven y type. Okay, we got to do this and we got to do that. And then the whole time Groot's in the background doing the opposite thing. <laughs> make sure we do that last and then they just yanks it and you're like ah okay that could be (laughs) i could throw that in nits because it's always annoying in movies where it's like we've got to like we can't do this and then right at that moment this happens but it was just timed so well yeah this movie that was funny so it it, right yeah it's not a worthy you're doing it like funny when it's one of those kind of generic uh it's like a pg-13 summer flick i just realized i spelled soundtrack wrong when i wrote it down on one of these things idiot idiot cool uh anyway uh yeah so like i said the, the heist thing where everybody has like this elaborate plan and it's like you said every time it's like that one thing that can't go wrong goes wrong um and i just think of like abed and community like picking out all of the tropes and be like that's gonna happen because of this you know it's anyway yeah but this one it's like because it's supposed to be kind of silly and comedic it's like they did it well enough that i just laughed a lot and then there's cool action yeah i like that I, I said, though, cheesiest fight scene, I you said it was forgiven because it was good or whatever. I hated that last like the the, the end scene was really cool. The, like the space battle and Ronan's pushing through all the and like so many people die. I, it was just a great, great scene Yeah, the, when they're storming the, the ship. That was really good. And then it just ended. So it was just not satisfying. It was not a satisfying conclusion to me. Like they hold hands to take the force of an infinity stone. That yeah. was also cheesy. The dance was cheesy. I I thought it ended pretty disappointing. At least the the fight at least ended disappointingly. I'm also gonna mention yeah, it was though kind of weird. the uh, um, Yandu 
when he killed like you know 17 guys in 12 seconds You're right. his little arrow yeah i actually wanted to count them uh which i will go back and do um i should have put that as best that was so cool yeah because like he was building up to that because he could whistle it and bring it around whatever but he never killed anybody and then in uh, it was guardians so satisfying 2, <laughs> in guardians 2 it, it took it to another level guardian uh with this one you're i mean just like you said it's like uh there was like this buildup for the whole like for the first hour and a half where i'm like cool well when's he gonna kill somebody and uh then i think you said 17 and i said 27 when i was watching it earlier i was like he just killed like 27 dudes in a second and just yeah. walked away I don't know how many it was, but it was really cool. This and they do the overhead view, so you just see the little red trail going through and zipping through everybody. Yeah, uh, that I was think... uh, pretty cool. You know, rather than me counting it, I bet somebody else has counted it online. I'll probably just look it up. Yeah, this act, that made me want to um, look this up. So that's what I was just doing here. But this this movie oh, nice. has the record for most on screen deaths. And in in the MCU, no, ever, because it's not what? when you're talking about on screen deaths. It's not like you see a person dying. Um, and it's also not like implied deaths. Like if a plane blows up, that doesn't count. Cause you can't count that. It's like how many people, if you pause the movie and count how many died. And most of it comes from when Ronan and his ship blast through the, the, the string of Novacore people, you know? Yeah. Cause you can physically count out how many people died. So this says the record for most on screen. Hold on though. Out of all movies, like saving private Ryan, the freaking Patriot, like yeah, all I of mean, these those movies like, you see what a couple people die at a time but in what this about one, like, you can... like fury you're see oh you mean on screen at one single time no at any no just if you if you can count how many people, people died so combine but, all the deaths that you see in each scene and it's got the record yes because like in those movies you see more gruesome deaths and you see more actual people dying and then there's some movies like um I don't know like uh, what's the one um what about what about fury where they had piles of bodies stacked up and they're like moving them with trucks like they're just tons and tons of bodies right. or like uh or even john wick he shoots like 117 people in the head like just in that one movie okay i've got a better okay i've got more detailed answer so the total death count in this was eighty three thousand eight hundred seventy one. And 80,000 of those were Nova Corps pilots who died in one scene. That's the point, because you can see so many of them dying at once. So it's 83,000. I can tell you, I definitely deaths. didn't count. I definitely didn't count to 80,000. <laughs> yeah, so, number... so, then, so then it doesn't count if you see, like, say somebody blows up the Earth. Well, we know that there's like seven something billion people on Earth. We have a head count. Does that <laughs> yeah, not that doesn't count, though. Because you can't actually see, you can't physically count out people that are dying. Where in this but one, we you already can count did, the ships of people you know, who are dying. Man. But number two is Dracula Untold with 5,000. So it's not even close. That, that just seems so... That's crazy. Huh. Yeah. Look at that. What a brutal thing. And I did think a lot like through it. I'm like, man, you know, they always do this whole thing. It's an annoying back and forth that bothers me in comic books and in movies where they're like, heroes don't kill. I'm like, yeah, except for like they do a lot. Like a yeah. lot. Uh, and... Like, and I'm not talking about like, oh, Batman kills. Stop it. I'm talking about like where we know people kill. Captain America fought in World War II. He's killed people for sure. And then like yeah. they have, well, well, he, like Falcon and Winter Soldier. This guy murdered it. He did it in cold blood is different. But like Captain America's killed people too. And like Quill kills like four dudes in like that opening scene. Or no, two, two dudes. 
Yeah, he, kills, he, kills, he doesn't kill. Yeah, he, he just casually throws that like grenade, that little gravity thing, thing or whatever. Yeah, but he he shoots the first two guys like right there, like pretty sure they died right there. Yeah, they they literally but like melted. And he's killed people all through other scenes. Um, not that they're the most heroic group to go off of, but it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking through it. I'm like, man, they're they're killing a lot of people. Kind of just, oh, that guy's dead. That guy's dead too. Uh, it's like, but it's like that Western kind of vibe where it's like, ah, people just die. It just happens. Yeah, people die. <laughs> Dang, that's a crazy record. That's a, I assume that's in your trivia section. No, I forgot about that until you started talking about um, how many people, die, how many people Yandu killed. I was like, this movie had a lot of deaths, right? And it was like, like a ton. And it's I mean, it's definitely right, a but... cheating stat because there's some movies that have more implied deaths and there's more where you actually see a human person die. Like, Saving Private Ryan and Fury. But if you're talking about people that you can see on screen or assume that they're in there because they're in a ship and you just physically count them, then this has the record. So they counted 80,000 Nova Corps people. Yeah. That's so many. That's a lot. That seems wrong. That's just like so many. <laughs> yeah. I guess the Dark Aster is a very large ship. So they were, it took a lot of them. Um, that's, yeah, that's crazy. The last one is poorly aged CGI. Honestly, I think this might be the peak of MCU CGI. It's like, it's, there's not really any bad CGI. It's like a very so CGI filled movie. Like there's something like Winter Soldier. You could say, oh, it's got pretty good CGI, but there's not a lot of CGI. This one had a lot of CGI yeah. and it was all good. I think yeah. the worst I saw and I didn't like it was uh, Quill. You said this earlier, but Quill skin when he was subjected to space, saving Gamora. Like, since when does being stuck in space turn you into the Spider-Man and his amazing friends version of Iceman? Like, that's what he looked like. That's true. He did kind of turn blue. I mean, yeah. well, okay, so to be fair, he should be freezing. Yeah, right? but, like, I it mean, just that's... didn't look good. Like, it looked like it looked like a, like, bad animation, not even bad CGI. Yeah. I'm not, like, a, like a space guy, but I'm like, okay. I watched the Magic School Bus, and that guy froze immediately when he took his helmet off on Pluto. That's all <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, I guess in their defense, nobody's actually ever frozen in space. So, like, what are we going to compare it to? You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, how can I say what it actually looks like when you go in space? Right. <laughs> we need to test somebody. We need a volunteer. Yeah. Russia's probably got yeah. them. They like that kind of stuff. Yeah, I th I thought overall, like, I kind of had to force a couple for poorly aged CGI. I do think when when they bag when Groot bags up Quill at the beginning, like when they're uh, doing their little fight. Um, yeah, with Gamora chasing around for the orb, and then he gets bagged up. I thought that it looked a little weird getting in the bag. I guess, um, like not totally real. And then the only other spot was maybe Rocket's fur when he gets out of the prison shower. It had like a weird shine to it. That, mm -hmm. but That's like a good one. I remember that. Other I, than I that, I'm like, right I'm with you though. I think kind of from here. I'll probably find out more as I rewatch more movies, but it's like, it is pretty heavy. And I know James Gunn was like, we want to do this pr as practically as possible with as little CGI as we have to use. But, but obviously the CGI a is a movie that demands a lot of CGI. Yeah. Yeah. So they had like, like that prison scene, they built that set and it's like over 300,000 pounds or some junk to build the set and then CGI within it, obviously. But like they were trying to make it real. So then, I don't know. It just seems like it's still in outer space and there's tons of there's tons of CGI in the movie. So it's like 
I don't know. I just felt like it was pretty good. Like you said, yeah. this might be kind of the peak or this little couple of years stretch is probably the peak for them. And then yeah, from here, it, it only could get worse. I think it definitely goes downhill post, you know, COVID and, and um, I forget the, the company, but all those layoffs and then they just stop caring about making it look good. Yeah. They're like, well, people keep seeing DC movies so we can drop our quality too. Why not? <laughs> exactly. All right. LOL. It's time for, Boom. useless trivia is that your um, like official sound effect for that spot yeah there? my nice. uh, sound effect budget isn't very high cool and get right. what you do what you can pay for you know <laughs> so james gunn he didn't even want to see chris pratt audition that's how much he just didn't take him seriously as a as a candidate but he's convinced by an assistant to to, to watch him audition and then he loved pratt so much that after after the audition he offered the role even if he didn't lose weight and he was still fat from Parks and Rec at this point. Um, he even a joke that he'd CGI abs onto onto Chris Pratt if he needed to. But then <laughs> Pratt famously lost 60 pounds in six months. So that was ridiculous. Uh, Vin Diesel, he played Groot for reasons that I still can't explain. Like, couldn't anybody have done the role? Why are they paying yeah. so much money for The Vin same Diesel reason you pay celebrities to play Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> I guess. I was like, what's um, the point? But he said those three words over a thousand times in recording, and he even wore stilts while he was recording so he could feel more <laughs> like Groot. And that's just absurd for a, a role that's probably not very difficult, but a great yeah. check for him. Uh, Drax is green in the comics, but they changed him to gray so he could be distinguished from Hulk. And there's also yeah. obviously another green character in this movie, and that would have been weird. Uh, in the comics, nowhere is the base of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Here it's not. Yeah. Uh, there's almost a post-credit scene in Iron Man 3. I think this is my favorite one. Almost a post-credit scene in Iron Man 3 with Tony flying to space to meet the Guardians, and then he'd be featured in this movie. Um, but at the time, they weren't sure that he'd sign up for another MCU contract. Did nice. you know that one? <laughs> I did not. No, I had not heard that one. Uh, Gamora says that she doesn't dance, but Zoe Saldana is actually a trained ballerina. Look at that. Look at that. Uh, and then in prison, they, they're talking about Rocket's known associates. Uh, associates, associates. <laughs> One of them is uh, I might be pronouncing this wrong, but Lila, and in the comics she's a soulmate and a sentient otter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> not not about the Chris Pratt. So Chris Pratt's thing is weird because he lost weight for Zero Dark Thirty, which I never saw. Um, because that was in Parks and Rec when they were filming in London. I don't know the timeline exactly. I think Zero Dark Thirty was 2012. I never actually saw it. Um, I rented it and never watched it. Uh, but anyway, he was, that cast was so- in, he was cast in DC like almost simultaneously and lost the weight for this one because he was more excited for it. And then they wrote it into like him having shirtless scenes. And oh, okay, so yes, so he was. Uh, so they filmed the way they did that London thing at Parks and Rec was to get around his filming because Zero Dark Thirty was filmed in London yeah. or England yeah. somewhere. Um, I think I'm getting that right. But anyway, and it was like the joke in Parks and Rec, right? He was like, oh, I just, I just don't drink beer anymore or whatever. Like, that's how he lost weight. Um, how much beer but, are you drinking? Probably yeah. too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he, uh, um, but Zachary Levi and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt were considered for, for Peter Quill uh, before that, um, which is funny because I think Zachary Levi actually probably would have done really well. Yeah, he ended up being because um, it's kind in, of in that that kind of corny, funny, and good action. So like Chuck, he, you know, I, you watch Chuck, right? Oh yeah, 
Yeah, so that's why I thought I thought your whole family was like like that show. But he, uh, yeah, big I, I thought he probably would have been good, but I, I like Chris Pratt. I'm glad they went that way. Sorry, you were saying something there for a second. I don't want to. I don't want to keep going if you got something. Oh, Zachary Levi. He ended up playing um, was named Fandral in the Dark yep. World, and then later Ragnarok for eight seconds before he dies immediately. Yep, yep. He's another. Uh, I mean, he's in the first Thor for a second, isn't he? He's in the second and third. He's not in the just the one. second and third. Jeez, is a different actor. Um, I think I just take all the parts from Dark World that I like and put them in other movies. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he he's another one crossing both universes. Um, so uh, the soundtrack, which we kind of there's something weird too that I didn't write down on my list, but uh, I I read something that James Gunn had the scoring, not the soundtrack stuff, but the scoring done ahead of time. So that they could film with, like, so they could film and rehearse with it playing. Something weird like that. I didn't write that down, but I thought that was kind of cool. But anyway. Yeah, I saw, sound- when I was looking up trivia, they had, like, Cherry Bomb playing, like, on set while they were recording that scene. Oh, no, I, I didn't see That would make more sense. I was, there was, whoever did the, I can't remember who actually did the, the score, score itself. the soundtrack. Yeah, they did that thing for some of the other scenes. I don't know. All That's of them, interesting. But, but that mostly just came up because I was reading about the soundtrack, which I downloaded when it came out because it was free on Google Play Music or whatever at the time. I've got that um, soundtrack on vinyl. So much I love that soundtrack. It was and it's great. So like I love I think the 70s is the best era of music probably anyway. But uh, the the soundtrack was number one on Billboard, which is the first time that a soundtrack with all previously released songs had done something like that. Because it's kind of odd that you think about it. It's basically just like it's almost like a a greatest hits type collection it's yeah. just a bunch of good songs on one thing and so many people bought it and downloaded it whatever uh lee pace actually auditioned for peter quill and then that's how he got ronan um amanda seyfried was james gunn had her in mind for gamora and then uh it didn't work out or whatever so then so not have been as good yeah i agree um the physical acting for rocket was done by Sean Gunn slash Craglin slash James Gunn's brother. Yeah. Um, which I didn't know. I didn't know that until this really. Morning. Yeah. No, I had no idea. Didn't think about it. Didn't care. Cause it's like, like if it's not like Andy circus doing uh, Lord of the Rings stuff, it's like, I don't really care. Like, you know, <laughs> everybody talked about that. And it was so, so cool. Or like uh, Alan Tudyk doing iRobot, like these guys who you see their faces. And I'm like, Sean Gunn, like, I know him from random appearances and like Gilmore Girls when I see it when Courtney's watching it. And then like these movies, right? Yeah. Uh, I just thought that was weird. James Gunn did, he did the dancing for the reference for Baby Groot in the post credit or the credit scene, I mean, where they have him in a flower pot doing the dance. Yeah. Apparently, James Gunn like did the referencing for that. Um, Seth Green is Howard the Duck's voice, which I definitely didn't know the first couple of times I watched it. I feel I like I knew that, that but I, I definitely felt like when I was reading it last night, I'm like, wait, really? I had to have known that, but I, maybe I just didn't. Um, Seth Green just shows up everywhere doing random voiceover crap. Um, Nathan Fillion, since I mentioned uh, Firefly earlier, he, yeah. uh, he does a voiceover for some random inmate. I didn't know that. Yeah. He it's was the guy really that, that got his uh, nose ripped up by a group oh that was him that was him oh, yeah oh okay <laughs> it's so heavily edited you can't even tell that there's something like same thing with vin diesel like do they really need that guy to play him that's why i said man you don't even know the voice it's, it's weird. with like, like uh, and i know Craig he took a serious 
Yeah. And I know they took it like super serious and Vin Diesel like asked to, he wanted to know character direction and all this stuff so he could do the right inflection. And I think he learned it in a couple languages so he could do some of the other language recordings. Yeah. But, but like, seriously, I think the same thing with that album and the chipmunks crap is like, you had to get Justin Long and Christina Applegate and Jesse McCartney to play these, or you could have just had any random person and paid them 20 grand to do it. Yeah. Cause I can tell you right now, I would just speak lines. You pay me $50,000. You'd save a crap load of money. You'd make more money and you can make me sound like a chipmunk. I'm just saying. Yeah. They're going to edit the voice anyway. So yeah, you don't even have to be able to sing. Who cares? Um, and then uh, let's see. Oh, this one I thought was weird. This is my last one is uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. As obviously we assume with any MCU movie is going to be number one at the box office when it comes out. It was number one for the first week. And then for weeks two and three, Ninja Turtles actually was beat it for number one. Really? And but then for weeks four, five, and six, it was back at number one. Yeah, Ninja that, Turtles that's is not the, very good. That's the weird part is that like it left number one and then went back to number one. Honestly, and that kind of like, makes sense because Ninja weird. Turtles has such a big following. So it, like you know the first couple weeks, oh, yeah. like okay, we're all gonna come. And then Guardians of the Galaxy, not as big of a following. So like yeah. the first one, a lot of people will come for because it's MCU, and then it'll die yep. down because then they're all comic books either it. way. Yeah, but then all like the word of mouth, they're like, this movie's really freaking good. Yeah. That's... Well, and like Ninja Turtles, I mean, that was like, I think it was the first one of the new chunk. I never saw it, which is still kind of weird to me. It was the first one since the, you know, the live action ones from the late, the end of the 80s going into the 90s. Yeah. Um, so it's like a huge deal, but it's just weird for a movie to leave and come back. Yeah. Without doing weird. like, without doing like a re-release, like they did with Avatar, where they re-released it just to beat Endgame. Jokes on everybody. <laughs> to beat Disney. Endgame. I was yeah, so Disney spiteful about both. that. I hated that. It's it's all a joke. Everybody's like, "Hey, look at we're competing," and I'm like, "Nope, Disney owns both of them, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> no matter what happens, Disney wins." <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was those were my useless trivia's. I dig. Now, can you skip it in your MCU rewatch? I'll let you go first. Uh, I say no, um, just because it's, I think, the first real run-in with the Power Stone, though yeah. I, don't, I don't know that they really give a lot of explanation as to what it is. I mean, they do in that it's a really big deal and it can really mess stuff up and it's super dangerous, but like they don't do like the full-on breakdown of it. I don't think until Endgame. No, in this, uh, this or is Infinity the first one. It, it may be Infinity Wars when they do it. I can't remember. This is the first one where they really, they don't say Power Stone, but they really break down what the Infinity Stones are when uh, yeah. the Collector is going through. So that's no, you're why right. yeah, yeah, yeah. one is important because this is the first time, they say Infinity Stone, the words in the dark world in the post-credit scene. And then this is the first one that explains what they are. The, you know, yeah, six puts them on screen. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. I didn't even think about that. So even more, I say no then because of that. It's, um, I think the movie it didn't have a lot of filler stuff. It's very specific. It's not just chasing the tesseract, right? We chase the tesseract, but what's in the tesseract? I don't know. This one is like you're chasing this orb, and inside it is an infinity stone, and we have all these other infinity stones, and it's a really big deal. Yeah. So that uh, to me, yeah, that's a no. I said yes if we're talking about. Like I would say, like in four years when uh, the Secret Wars is coming out, we got to catch up because you got a first date with somebody. You got to show them all these movies. Um, you'd be missing out on Thanos's real introduction in the MCU, not just the you know turning head smirk in, in Avengers and the intro to the Guardians. But both of those get properly introduced well enough in Infinity War. And honestly, there's probably a good chunk of casual fans who watched Infinity War without knowing anything about the Guardians and they weren't That's that lost true. after seeing it. 
The biggest loss would be the character dynamics, like why in Infinity War, Drax charges at Thanos, the Gamora and Quill relationship, why Nebula and Gamora are so screwed up by their father. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And like you said, probably the biggest argument against skipping this is that you wouldn't know what the Infinity Stones are until we see Thanos fighting for them. But again, Doctor Strange summed it up really, really well for Tony and Banner and for the audiences that haven't seen this movie. So I don't want to say it's skippable, but like Infinity War did enough work to make this movie skippable <laughs> no i think you i think you're right uh i still stick with no but i guess but but you're right though because down the road here when i'm getting ready like you said when secret wars or anything like that happens i will probably bypass most of the movies because it used to be this thing of like oh man i'm gonna watch through every movie before a movie comes out and then we got to once we got to like 20 something i was like oh my gosh i don't have 52 hours or whatever to watch through all of these movies i just have to not i think that's actually movies, low you know? it's more than 52 yeah, hours. yeah well because well and at first they're all like you know hour 45 two and a half hour tops but they're like they're right around two hour probably average out for several movies yeah and then you start getting into three hour movies and you're like oh my gosh it's crazy so now for every two movies i'm watching as much as i used to watch in three movies and it's just like it stacks up and now you got I, I don't care what anybody says you have. If you want to be fully true canon, I don't care what Kevin Feige says either because you can't reference Battle in New York and tell me that Daredevil's not canon. Um, but you, and also now he's been in Spider-Man. But like you have the MCU shows on Netflix or not MCU, but the Netflix Marvel crap. Then you have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which he, I think they also said isn't canon, but bull crap. Yeah. And I'm like, I'll skip it. But like, if you're going to be nuts about it, I'd have to watch so much crap. So yeah, to go catch back up i probably wouldn't watch it if it's like hey we're gonna see secret wars on friday i would probably watch like the first avengers movie maybe throw in a couple in between before i got to infinity war and endgame but they did i mean thor dark world is fully skippable because of infinity war i know i'm jumping onto a different movie and i'm not supposed to but we're i think you're right that one, so that's fine i think they kind of do the same thing oh well in that case um because when you're like, man, we didn't watch Thor Dark World before Infinity War, which was a conversation Courtney and I had. And then in the movie, basically Thor in about 40 seconds explains everything you need to know about Thor Dark World. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the same with Guardians because a bunch of the people, like the Avengers and them hadn't met them. So you get, the, they cheat by introducing them to the characters, to the other characters in the movie. So you kind of already have what you need, I guess. You're, you're, you're probably right. Yeah. I don't want to skip it, I guess. Yeah, is what I, I say. would never skip this movie, though. It's <laughs> too good to skip. Yeah, I, I like it. Yeah. Most important question, though, where does it rank? You have four levels of Pantheon, Awesome, Dig It, and Skippable. I'm going to go through my current rankings before we do that. Uh, in sure Pantheon, I have Avengers number one, and then Iron Man, and then Captain America Winter Soldier. In Awesome, it's right at the edge of Awesome, is Captain America the first Avenger. Dig It. Right at the edge of Dig It is Iron Man 3 and Thor. And then Skip It, Iron Man 2, Dark World, and The Incredible Hulk. Where do you rank it? Um, I think I put it in Awesome. So my notes say Awesome or Dig It. And I was still unsure, but I think I go with Awesome. Um, because of my not desiring to skip it. Uh, like there's, I don't know. I mean, there's, I I don't think we're on fully aligned in how we rank these. Um I haven't seen Thor in a while, but I feel like I liked it better than Dig It, but I can't remember. I don't know. It seems like it's – I would rather watch this than Iron Man 3. 
And I would also rather watch this most of the time than Captain America, even though I really like Captain America. So it's kind of like, yeah, I think I give it an awesome. Yeah. Okay. I thought you were going to go higher. I went Pantheon. I think I liked it more than the Winter Soldier and everybody loves that movie. I thought it was better than the first Avenger by a good amount. Like it's a seemingly low level movie. So I think for that reason, it gets a little bit of uh pull away because it's it's off the main it's off it's off earth it's not in the main storyline with the rest of the mcu yeah. um so it doesn't have the same attraction as the movies before or since but i don't think you can argue it's outside of the top few movies like i'd i'd honestly listen to an argument of somebody saying it's the best mcu movie over somebody saying it's not in the pantheon of mcu movies i think it's hilarious it's got properly developed stakes and it's pretty crucial yeah. there's really the no MCU. wasted time it's, yeah, it's not... no wasted time yeah, I feel like the whole movie I'm engaged and I'm not bored thinking like, oh my gosh, like like with Eternals, which I know you haven't gotten to yet either, is like I like it. But there were times when I'm like, okay, fast forward. Like, yeah, honestly, every ahead. even Avengers, I think there's some some down points where like it's like, okay, I, I can you know, go to the bathroom right now and not pause it. But in this movie I think any it's not really a, a yeah, good so moment to, to walk away from it. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back next week with The Winter Soldier with B.J. Clark. As always, check out my writing at strtartfacts.com. That's S-T-A-R-T-E-facts.com. Peace out.